Psalm 73, a psalm of Asaph, reading from verse 1. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone, my steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked, For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness. They have more than heart could wish. They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression, they speak loftily. They set their mouth against the heavens, and their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know? And is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly, who prosper in the world, they increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued, and chastened every morning. If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children." When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors. As a dream when one awaketh, so, O Lord, when thou awakest, thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I, and ignorant. I was as a beast before thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with thee, Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. My flesh and my heart faileth, but God is the strength of my heart, and my portion for ever. For lo, they that are far from thee shall perish. Thou hast destroyed all them that go a-whoring from thee. But it is good for me to draw near to God. I have put my trust in the Lord God, that I may declare all thy works. This evening we're looking at Psalm 73, when a man of God envies the wicked. 
I've got a question for you, Christians in here. I wonder if you have ever been tempted to envy the ungodly. Despite you having every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus, and despite you having treasures in heaven, the chiefest treasure of all being your great heavenly high priest, the Lord Jesus Christ. Despite all of that, have you envied the wicked? If you have, then you most certainly are not alone. That was the problem with the psalmist who wrote these words as he was being moved by the Holy Spirit. Looking at verses 1 to 3 there again. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as of, as of, sorry, such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. The psalmist's opening words are, truly God is good to Israel where Israel is described as such as have a clean heart. We should know something about that. Such as have a clean heart. That description takes us back to what we were looking at last week and we looked in detail at Psalm 24 last week. I just want to flick back to Psalm 24 to remind you as we consider a clean heart, we get a bit more information in Psalm 24 reading verses 3 to 5. Psalm 24, verse 3. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that have clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord, and righteousness from the God of his salvation. There's a big, big clue in in verse 5 there. Blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So this is a person who is trusting in God as his saviour, and he has the righteousness of God. In other words, it's a Christian. It is a Christian who has a clean heart in um, Psalm 73, verse 1. Or looking at Psalm 24, clean hands and a pure heart. It's someone who is trusting in God as their saviour. You can be sure that a clean heart is certainly not a description of someone who does not belong to Jesus. No one in this world can be described as having a clean heart if they do not trust in Jesus. It simply doesn't make sense. If you understand anything from the scriptures, you need to understand that. That is a fundamental, basic fact taught in the scriptures. In Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through to 18, the Apostle Paul described the condition of all who are not savingly united to the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, There is none righteous, no, not one. 
There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good. No, not one. Their throat is an open tomb. With their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouths are full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their ways, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. The Apostle Paul said those things as he was describing both Jews and Gentiles, anyone for that matter, who does not have the righteousness of God that comes through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's not a very pretty description, is it? But this is the reality of fallen man. You know what? I sometimes wonder if people, and that includes Christians, appreciate just how sinful the heart is. I don't think we do, and that is because, as the Bible puts it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Therefore, unregenerate people, people who do not belong to Jesus... And even to a degree, Christians are deceived by their own hearts. It's not that we go around deceiving everyone else. Our hearts are deceitful. We are deceived by our own hearts to think that we're not really that bad. What is written in Psalm 24 Verses 3 and 5 and here in Psalm 73 verse 1 with regards to having a clean heart is a description of someone who is fully trusting in Jesus. Who is, who offered himself as a sacrificial lamb and who had all the iniquities of his people laid upon him at the cross. Consequently Jesus has cleansed And purified all who trust in him for the forgiveness of their sins. They have been washed and purified. Been washed and purified in the blood of Jesus. They have a righteousness that is not their own. Theirs is the righteousness of God through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, the Israel that is spoken of in Psalm 73 verse 1 It has to be a spiritual Israel. Let's have a look at that verse again. Truly God is good to Israel, even to such as are of a clean heart. It's a spiritual Israel made up of Jews and Gentiles alike, people from all nations who have hearts that have been circumcised, not circumcision of the flesh, circumcision of the heart. It's a spiritual circumcision. They are people who, by the grace of God, have trusted in Jesus. They are people who have come to Mount Zion and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. The Israel of verse 1 cannot possibly apply to anyone else. The psalmist was one of those people whose heart was clean. And so are you if Jesus is your Lord and Saviour. 
Yet for all that, he confessed in verses 2 and 3 that his feet were almost gone. And his steps had well nigh slipped because he became jealous of foolish and wicked people. Almost gone, his feet. That really is something. He recognised those people for what they were. Foolish and wicked. That's the word he uses, the psalmist. They're foolish and wicked people. But still, he envied them. Again, maybe, dear Christian, you're thinking, been there, done it, got the badge. You're actually jealous, envious of the ungodly. However, even in that confession from the psalmist, there are words of great comfort for all of you who truly belong to Jesus. Almost gone is not the same as completely gone. Looking at verse 2 there. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. Again, I say, that is not the same as completely gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. That is not the same as slipped and stumbled and fallen away from God forevermore, is it? Very, very different. And we thank God for that. Thank God that if you are in Christ, he is able to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. And that includes the psalmist here. John Willison, a Scottish minister of old, rightly said the following about the wicked. The wicked meaning everyone who has not received Jesus and believed on his name. That's the wicked or the ungodly people who are not trusting in Christ for forgiveness. Anyway, this is what Willison said. It would be a brutish, brutish thing to envy an ox, his high and sweet pasture, when he is only thereby fitted for the day of slaughter. Who would have envied the beasts of old, the garlands and ribbons with which the heathen adorned them, when they went to be sacrificed. These external ornaments of health, wealth, pleasure and preferments, wherewith wicked men are endowed, cannot make their state happy, nor change their natures for the better. Whatever appearance these things make in the eyes of the world, they are but like a noisome dunghill, covered with scarlet, as vile and loathsome in God's sight as ever. How quickly is the beauty of earthly things blasted? The triumphing of the wicked is short. They live in pleasures on the earth for a while, but God sets them in slippery places, from whence they soon slide into perpetual pain and anguish. They have a short time of pleasure, but they shall have an eternity of mourning. And these are the people that the psalmist, perhaps you and I, from time to time, envy and are jealous of. The psalmist saw what he perceived to be the prosperity of the wicked. 
It's there again in verse 3. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Interestingly, the Hebrew word that has been translated prosperity is a word that uh, most, if not all of us, know. We don't have to be Hebrew scholars for this. The word that has been translated prosperity is shalom. We know that word, don't we? What does it mean? Primarily, it means peace. So, looking again at verse 3, I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked or the peace of the wicked. The ridiculous thing is that the psalmist who had an enduring peace with God that passes all understanding and he had treasures stored up in heaven was nevertheless envious of people who were on the broad road that leads to eternal destruction. And what he saw was peace in those people. Clearly the devil and the psalmist's own deceitful heart must have been having a field day with him, playing tricks with him, for him to see what he perceived to be their prosperity or their peace, the peace of the wicked. Just look at verse 4, for example. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is is firm. In other words, the psalmist envied what he saw as their healthy lives and their peaceful deaths. He envied that. And according to the psalmist, the wicked did not have the miseries that others have. We see that in verse 5. They are not in trouble as other men. Neither are they plagued, plagued like other men. One might reasonably say that the psalmist was not seeing clearly, was he? If he had have been, he would have seen that the people, those people who waved their fists towards heaven as they cursed God, people who delight in the things of the world, people who live for worldly advantage, self-promotion, people who are corrupt, people who are violent and so on, they have no true happiness. What they have is all very superficial. There's no depth to it at all. They have no true peace. They speak peace to their neighbours while there is evil in their hearts. This is how it is with this world. Even with the the people that you love, you know and love, if they do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, if they haven't bowed the knee to Jesus, if they haven't acknowledged their sinfulness before a holy God, this is how they are. All that description that we can read of again in Psalm 23, I see it there, verse 8, they are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning the oppression and so on. This is a description of all who do not belong to Jesus. They are not to be envied, but rather they are to be pitied, they are to be prayed for to the end that they might know Jehovah Shalom, 
the Lord Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, having repented of their wickedness and having trusted in him for the forgiveness of their sins. Let's really, let's pull no punches here. When you think of the cross, the agony of the cross, the blood, the spiritual torment, the iniquity being laid upon Jesus, the incarnate Son of God. Jesus laid down his life for wicked people, wicked men, wicked women, wicked boys, wicked girls. Not people who have made a few blunders, a few bad choices, a few mistakes. And anyone who is not um, to be found in Christ, trusting in him alone, fits the description that the psalmist gives in Psalm 73 here, of the wicked and the ungodly. They are not happy people. If there is a happiness, it's very superficial. The Bible describes people who are truly happy, people who are truly blessed. Let me read it to you. Happy is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. Happy are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Happy are those who hunger and who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Happy are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Happy are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Happy are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Ordinarily, the psalmist might have been advised to uh, go to specsavers. Because he clearly wasn't seeing properly, was he? But it wasn't anything to do with his eyes in his head. It was very different. The man of God was experiencing serious problems with spiritual vision. Serious problems. Look at verse 13 now. Verily I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocency. It can be seen in that verse that the psalmist became so deceived by what he saw as the prosperity and worldly success of the ungodly. He even declared that he had kept himself pure for no purpose, that his faith was in vain. He must have been going through a major spiritual crisis to say what he said in verse 13 and to be jealous of people who were perishing in their sin and who are described in verse 18 as having been set by God in slippery places and cast down into destruction. These are the people he was envious of. What was happening with the psalmist back then can just as easily happen to Christians now if they do not keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. As the hymn writer said, turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth 
will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. This is the antidote, keeping your eyes fixed on Jesus. Let's have a look at verses 14 through to 17. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. If I say I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, it was too painful for me until I went into the sanctuary of God. Then understood I their end. We've already seen when looking at verse 2 that the psalmist's feet were almost gone but not completely. He nearly slipped but not quite. By the grace of God that saved him and that grace that was continually preserving him, he went into the temple where he came to his senses. As Spurgeon commented, his heart gazed within the veil He stood where the thrice holy God stands. Thus he shifted his point of view and apparent disorder resolved itself into harmony. He saw with his mind's enlightened eye the future of the wicked and his soul was in debate no longer as to the happiness of their condition. No envy gnaws now at his heart but a holy horror both of their impending doom and of their present guilt, fills his soul. He recoils from being dealt with in the same manner as the proud sinners whom just now he regarded with admiration. With his gaze back where it ought to be, upon the beautiful Saviour, the psalmist went from looking at the apparent prosperity and worldly success of the ungodly to declaring in verses 24 and 25, Thou shalt guide me with thy counsel, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside thee. I love that verse, that verse 25. That's a verse I memorised years ago. And... What a difference it is to those early verses. And it all happened after verse 17, really, isn't it? Verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then then understood I their end. And then you get to those beautiful words in verse 25. Whom have I in heaven but thee? And there is none upon earth that I desire beside there you can see there that his focus is on God again not on the ungodly not on the wicked um, but on God where it ought to be what a wonderful transformation that was and praise God for that dear Christian if ever you are tempted to envy the prosperity of the wicked then Consider the Son of God, who though he is the King of glory, again, this is something we looked at last week in Psalm 24, Jesus is the King of glory, the one who owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Indeed, he is the creator of the universe. 
He came down from his glory into this world of sin and he took upon himself the form of a lowly servant who had nowhere to lay his head. Consider how Jesus had nothing at all when he was in this world. Even though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that through his his poverty you might be rich, rich with every spiritual blessing, blessings such as forgiveness of all your iniquities, past, present and future, blessings such as everlasting life, blessings such as imperishable treasures in heaven, As a Christian and child of God, you are an heir and a joint heir with Christ of the new heavens and the new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Most of all, you have Jesus who loved you and who gave himself for you at the cross as he bare away your sins. And we have the nerve to look at the ungodly and be jealous of them. It really is by the grace of God that any of us are saved, isn't it? What more could you ask for, dear Christian? What more could you possibly want? I don't know about you, but I will echo the words of the hymn writer who said, All I once held dear, built my life upon, All this world reveres and wars to own, All I once thought gain, I have counted loss. Spent and worthless now compared to this. Knowing you, Jesus, knowing you. There is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you, Lord. Amen.